Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Welcome in to the CHGO Blackhawks podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Happy Monday. I'm Jay Zawoski, joined as always by Greg Boyson and Mario Tirabasi. But today we've got a special guest in studio with us. It is the author of Game Misconduct, Evan Moore. Evan, thanks for jumping on with us, man. We appreciate having you here. Thanks for having me. uh, Starting off, just wanted to say I did listen to... The episode you all had about the Blackhawks logo, I thought it was a really great and nuanced conversation. And that was a lot of my uh, thoughts growing up as like dealing with the logo. Was, I was like, I was kind of like most people, it's like it's not as bad as the, the Cleveland team or the Washington team. So I think it's okay when you start talking to indigenous folks. They're probably, some of them are like, I don't, it doesn't bother me. But other folks are like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so that was a great conversation, really. It. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that. And, you know, the, we ha- we've we been trying to get you in for a while, and the Hawks made a bunch of news over the last month, obviously, so we had to push things away. But this works out into perfect timing because, once again, uh, sexual assault, sexual scandal is front and center in the hockey world with two um, mm-hmm. investigations happening around Hockey Canada. Uh, and it's it's just another reminder of what you wrote so eloquently in your book um, it, it is a huge problem in the game of hockey. And I think what we want to have in this conversation is how do we move on from here? How do we improve? How can the hockey world, uh, you know, take steps to improve things? And, and I think the first part of that is acknowledgement. And I think just my opinion, we're finally seeing, and you could probably say it's because of the pressure that's been put on them because of it, but we're seeing an acknowledgement here from Hockey Canada admitting that there was a problem and now they need to figure out, and, and it's probably just damage control, but there's at least been an admission here, which is a start. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's something I've noticed for a long time, and me and my co-author, because Josh Vina, she's more so on the side. Uh, her um, vantage point in the book was more so from, you know, um, billeting and youth hockey and college hockey and not so much uh, pro, so that was kind of – her wheelhouse and what she brought to it and what I learned over time and what I've been seeing in, in my in time in hockey spaces, you just have an admission of folks who we either see this stuff as something that happens every now and then, but not a big issue. And you have some people who only see it as an American problem. Unfortunately, they only see it, oh, that's what they do down there, that's their issue. We don't have anything to do with that, but they're so different. We're, we aren't the first, maybe we're the first book to kind of put all in one, in one area, but there's been so many books 
of folks who said like, hey, this is an issue. Even most recent scandal where they spoke to uh, Jordan, um, Jordan Tutu had to put out a statement and you know, he's, he was a sort, his time with the Black Hawk was sort, but he obviously he's a long time national predator and he wrote his own book and he's saying the same, some of the same stuff. So it was like, this isn't new when players themselves are saying this is their experiences. Well, let's let's get to that. We actually have the Jordan Tutu. There's the excerpt from his book, and I think we should say before we start really getting into the conversation, there is going to be a content warning on this. There are certain things we have to say that we can't avoid. Um, we're going to be discussing sexual assault. We're going to be discussing rape. Uh, I'm sure racism and sexism and other things will come up as we move on. So just know that those things are, are coming in this uh, podcast and this episode uh, but Lawrence, if you could pull up the Jordan Tutu comments from his 2014 book, here's the quote. But Frick, we were just kids back then. The shit that we did, we were horny young men. We were in Halifax and we had every goddamn girl hitting on us. What are you going to do? Let's start slaying these broads. And it wasn't just one-on-one -on -one action. A few of the guys would get a couple of girls after practice and head into one of the rooms. Enough said. That is an excerpt from Jordan Tutu's book. From 2014 yesterday uh tutu took to twitter and uh look like jordan is a guy who has been through a lot uh his brother's uh suicide his own struggles with addiction but i'm be a little bit critical here if you brag about it in your book you shouldn't suddenly claim false memories as he did here on twitter uh here's the statement from jordan tutu's twitter i joined the community in calling for a full investigation into the disturbing allegations that surfaced involving members of the 2003 Canadian World Junior Hockey Team. My book chronicles many experiences from the tournament when I was age 19, as well as my journey with alcohol addiction, which started at age of 14. If I'm being totally honest with myself and you, I don't recall knowing or hearing about the incident in question during or after the tournament. I was shocked when I heard about it in the media and will cooperate fully with any investigation. So there you go. I, I I'm not buying that 100%. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, as someone who is also a recovering alcoholic, pulling that card out and say, I started drinking when I was 14, I don't remember. You remembered it enough to write it in your book, and now all of a sudden you don't. My statement about kind of all the blanket statements we've been getting from the, the members of that 2018 team that's under investigation, and now we're starting to get it from this 2003 team, I think we've all been in sports, not just hockey, but sports long enough that there are no secrets, especially in the world of hockey. Guys talk. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody here on this panel has once been a 17, 18-year-old male. 17, 18-year-old males love to brag about things, love especially things that probably never even happened. We've all done it. So to tell me that all of a sudden everybody on these two teams don't remember anything, I'm not buying that. I'm just not. I'm sorry. Yes, it's nice that you're making statements, but three sentences on Twitter saying you have no knowledge of it doesn't exonerate you in my eyes. On the same other side of that coin, not saying anything doesn't automatically make you guilty either. Uh, there still are teams, members of that 2018 team that hasn't said anything about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're guilty, but it doesn't look great either. Uh, so you just got to let hopefully some independent people, people that have no stake in this game one way or the other, figure out what the hell is going on and who needs to be held accountable for it. It's accountability. We're dealing with guys that have never heard the word 
know since they since since they found out that they could skate faster or shoot harder than everybody else all of a sudden they know is no longer a word that's told to them so and there's never any accountability and i think that's all we really want here is some accountability for some disgusting horrible behavior that shouldn't be hard and that shouldn't be a controversial take right well and i think it you know that you and uh joshina talk about in the book is how kind of hockey culture is is protected in and of itself because the majority of the people inside it are upper middle class uh you know white men have kind of basically guarded the sport itself and i wonder if you know do do incidents like this need to kind of keep coming to the light to kind of break down that like barrier that's kind of been built up around hockey or is it more important that things kind of come from inside that uh, that barrier to expand outwards and make it, you know, more known that these things can't can't be the the commonplace? Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, I mean, when people ask us about the cover of the book and we say the fix it part, fix it is something that's really simple. Listening to people like it's showing some empathy, like these. We talked this, I mean, anytime I've written about these issues, whether it was for the book or different articles over time, it was so many people that reached out to me and said, like, this happened to me, this happened to my, my brother or my sister who plays hockey or themselves. And it's like, if it's so many, there's so much content, like hockey culture, toxic hockey culture creates so much content. <laughs> it's just, right. let's be honest about this. I think we need to understand that from, from the get-go that, these aren't like just isolated stories. This is something that's that's it, that's ingrained in the culture, and we probably need to strip it down. And it's kind of like dealing with that on ice with the sport. Like if you can't you can't get to the puck, you can't stop this, you can't stop the rest, you can't do this or do that. They'll they'll find someone else, right? right. <laughs> so if you can't you know get out in front of these issues, whoever is in charge need to find someone else to do it because these things just keep happening and it was just so many stories we could even like fit them all in the book and that's when you're in that part of the book where you're cutting down your word count and you're just kind of like I may have to leave this story over on the table and honestly when we when we first started the book I still had stories that I hadn't written about from past emails from people who had reached out to me previously from other stories I had written and when we started you know about the book I did contact some of those folks who were like hey Remember you sent me this email a while ago, it's okay if we use this in the book. And the people that got back to me, they were fine with it, but if someone didn't, I just kind of just left it there because that's not, because you don't know how well someone may have felt in 2015 about, right. about talking about something to the, to the public in, in 2021, 2022. So I was definitely you know, a part of it. And it's just so many stories, like it's, it's, it's journalists, it's, it's players, it's fans, it's, Families of players, like it's, and honestly, because me, because my kid is in, well, I play myself, but my daughter is also involved in the sport that we see six years old or already had that, that conversation about what do you do if something happens? Not, not if, when, not if some, it's not like when something happens, kind of like at this point, if, and right. I have to operate that way as a parent. And we did have that conversation when I was putting on her gear. Like I told her like, hey, I know what it's like to be the only one or one of the few. And if something happens, come grab me, come grab your mom, grab a Colts, 
don't inter- internalize it. What I did right. when I had an incident as a kid, and I had to pretty much like say like, hey, I gotta handle this on my own. So I shouldn't have had to handle it on my own, but I was already that, the mindset at, at that time. So that's why you see all this stuff about things coming out after the fact and the fact that with Kyle Beats to somebody like that, where it's like people are kind of like, he's a big strong hockey player. How come he didn't do this or do that? Like a lot of folks don't understand power dynamics. <laughs> right. And the only thing these young people want in their lives is to get to the show, to play in the NHL. And if someone tells them they have to go along with the experience to make that happen, unfortunately, they'll go along with it because the main goal is playing hockey. Well, you know, uh, Surfing Dub uh, brings it up in the chat, and, and there is a report that Hockey Canada actually just has a hush money fund, money they put aside in cases that come up like this. There's your perfect illustration that they know, they're aware, and this has been a problem for a long time, that they need to, like, all right, let's, let's stash some cash in case some, some victims come forward and we can hush them before it becomes public knowledge. I wonder why this is such a hockey problem before the show um, before you arrived, Evan, Mario was expressing some frustration. Like, why can't I just love my sport? Why can't I just love what I cover? Why can't it? Like, it's so hard to be a hockey fan sometimes because of all this stuff. And I said, look, like, whatever hobby you choose, there's going to be bad parts of it. Gaming, you know, basketball, football. Like, this stuff happens in every industry. Anytime money is involved and powerful people are involved, there's going to be stuff that sucks about it. But the fact that it's so specifically and it's seemingly so much more rampant in hockey i wonder if that has to do with the fact that these junior players are spending their formative years not in schools traditionally uh, not going to college traditionally but always with each other insulated from the outside world they are treated like stars from a young age if you ever watch the show letter kenny puck bunnies are talked about and celebrated. And yeah, that's usually consensual. But the culture of sex and the team and everything in hockey seems so much more in hockey than than other sports. And I wonder if it is part of that, just growing up from those formative years together with no real outside input or influence on your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's even saying what Mario was talking about, you know, like um, I think when people – no, people know of me and Josh Feeney even before the book and before it came out there, people were kind of like, oh, they're trying to cancel hockey. And it's like, no, we love hockey. That's Hockey's my favorite sport. If I always tell people, if you reach me as a black man who grew up on 71st Luella on the south side, that is an amazing sport if, I, if it, it reached me. You know, so I always look at it like, well, we want it to, you know, be better and how can it, I can't be better, and for me, it's the greatest sport in the world. I love the Stanley Cup, even even if the team that I'm not rooting for is in. I watch it every year because it's an amazing like to see that cup and to know that everyone who the greatest in that sport, their name is on it, and they had it at some point, you know. And uh, so, when you love something, you want it to be better, right? And you want it to do right by people, and and yeah, these it's when can sometimes folks say that all my all lives matter, like. We talk about it when it turns to this stuff, but everybody like, but this happens in other sports. I'm like, I'm not talking about other sports. I'm talking about this one in particular. Yeah, the one right, I right. seem to like and, and care about and put a bunch of sweat equity in. So we're going to talk about some things that we discuss because when you deal with you know, therapy or intervention, you have to talk about the past and how someone made you feel and everything else. And I know, I know like when these issues, some people, they want to jump to, okay, what do we do now? And I'm just like, 
you know, got to punch the brakes a little bit. We have to discuss, you know, how we got to this point. We have to discuss right. the impetus and everything else. And that's how you find out if you've made mistakes along the way. Because some folks, they just don't know any better. And some folks, they know what they're doing with power dynamics and, and who can do what, who can play where and everything else. And he saw what happened with uh, Akeem Alou. And, you know, yeah. it's wider. Think about wider as the ace hockey diversity lines in the first place. <laughs> like, right. they're – all those guys, uh, all those folks had some issue going on. And we even saw during the playoffs, we have with Nazem Kadri, you know, with with uh, Bennington and, and his his his, uh, his past of anti-Muslim behavior. I don't know why you would throw something at a Muslim player knowing you had that in your background, but maybe that's another story for another day. But uh, those issues, they just keep on training out. Like, we turned in our manuscripts in October of twenty. I mean, January of 2021, and all this stuff is happening in hockey, like Blackhawk stuff, like that just missed us. Right. You know, and, and other incidents that's happened, and so many things, it's, it's weird, because like, we didn't, we didn't like time the book, time the, the, uh, the publishing of the book to all this stuff that's going on. It just happened to be a coincidence, and all these things came out as this book was going to publish. Do you guys think that you'll revisit some of these things now that you you said you had so much content that didn't make this this first book do you think there will be like a second book or like because you say it just the problem is that these these things keep coming up and that you have so much that you didn't use things that have come out since the since you've turned in you know the the book and it's been published and everything do you guys have you had conversations about maybe we should get into more of this or expand on things. Have you talked about that at all with, with Josephina? Yeah, we've had some conversations, but I mean, I always tell people, cause always people always ask, what is it like to write a book? Very uh, time consuming. Yeah. And it's, you yeah. want everyone to like, like something that you spent so much time on and we want to re-traumatize ourselves. <laughs> I mean, like, but true. that's all you think about when you write something that's extremely, really heavy and I like to do something. We'll see. We'll have to ask her what she thinks. But I know that we'll, I know because with books like this, we had we have to do another edition, and we got plenty of content. You said to do another edition, or or even do an entire whole new book. Mm-hmm. It's like when you see this, you're like, wow. It's kind of gotten to this point where even parents who want to get their kids involved in this sport, they reach out to me and Josh Vina, and like they see it, what we all see, and they're kind of like, whoa, what's going on over right. there? You know, like so. I uh, definitely hear from parents and, and other folks where they're just kind of like, man, what do we, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's something I ask myself uh, every day, having played into the sport and having a daughter who plays. And, I mean, I feel like it can be better. And I, I don't want to, like, give that up to the folks who want things to stay the same. And if they, we have to match their energy. We're talking to Evan Moore, author of Game Misconduct. Uh, lots of good comments. Uh, we're going to try to get to them as the show goes on, but I, I want to commend our commenters for being cool <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not yeah. freaking out about this. Uh, yeah, one thing we story. hear a lot sometimes uh, in the Twitter version things when these stories come up is, why didn't the victim speak up sooner? Yada, yada, yada. So I want to read a couple little excerpts from um, Game Misconduct from Chapter 4, which was the sexual violence chapter. Uh, this is per the Department of Justice There are 433,648 victims of sexual assault and rape aged 12 and older on average yearly in the U.S. Out of every 1,000 cases of sexual assault, 995 offenders will go free. 
Just 46 reports will lead to arrest and 4.6 out of 1,000 rapists will be incarcerated. The Department of Justice Canada reported that as of a 2014 survey, 37 out of every 1,000 women were victims of sexual assault. In addition, 5 out of every 1,000 men were victimized and 83% of sexual assault cases were not reported to the police. From 2005 to 2010, victims chose not to report for a variety of reasons, including fear of retaliation, belief the police would not help, belief it was a personal matter, belief it wasn't personal enough, or feeling that they, quote, didn't want to get the perpetrator in trouble. So when we hear these stories and we see the delayed reporting, Kyle Beach, for example, um, there's all these reasons to where why a victim doesn't feel confident in coming out and exposing themselves to this sort of scrutiny because it feels like it becomes a trial on let's prove the victim wrong rather than let's believe the victim and try to work with the victim to get the justice that's needed. And I could see, and you said, Yashvina, a victim herself, the hesitance to come forward, especially when the, the perpetrator is someone that's high profile. You know for a fact that if you come out with a, against a high-profile perpetrator, that chances are things are not going to work out in your favor. And we've seen it over and over and over again. And I'm sure, you know, in writing the book, you've, you've gotten so many stories similar to that. You reference uh, Austin Matthews and Billy Tibbetts and all these stories that there's definitely something wrong here. And, 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 and so many times it's reported as, we're really glad that this person was able to overcome the controversy of their sexual assault accusation and move on with their hockey careers. The focus is just wrong. How do we, maybe not just in hockey, but societally, move the shift to the victim and, and support the victim? I think it starts with, think it starts with listening and taking out the equation that, taking out the, the fact that the person who's, who's the perpetrator or, or like that is realized that they're famous, they provide you with some type of entertainment, but you gotta just look at it like, hey, like it's, I have to set aside how this person may, generally makes me feel as a fan of a team or a sport, and then you weigh it against, well, it did something pretty awful. This was someone I personally knew, I'd be pretty angry about it. And also, we can't, we, we can't give celebrities or folks that make us feel good or, or or high profile, you know, that power. And in society for a long time, we just let, let people just do, you know, whatever they want because they're really good at something that makes us feel good as opposed to listen to someone and say, this person hurt me, you, you gotta suss it out. Like it's just yeah. how it, it should be normally, but when someone is famous or there's some type of power dynamic uh, going on, um, unfortunately the people get hurt. Well, as a fan, too, it is hard when you've got someone that you feel, I think, you know, fans feel close to the athletes they cheer for, right? You feel part of the whole thing. And when a name like that, I'll go back to the Patrick Kane accusations. When you hear that, it sinks your heart and you almost don't want to believe it because it's so much easier to just ignore or pretend it's not happening. And I think that Patrick Kane thing was so high profile at a time where he was at his absolute peak in the city that a lot of people were just like, I, this can't be true I don't because I don't want it to be true, right? No, 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 this couldn't possibly happen. Patrick Kane's too good at hockey to do something like this. And we saw throughout that entire thing 
the the victim getting doxxed and her picture was showing up online and her name and it was just endless 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 attack on the victim and whatever you believe was the true outcome of that case whatever patrick kane was exonerated and continues to play and at a high level and all those things but it just shows you how fans can just this is uncomfortable i don't want to deal with it because it's someone I, I like and respect and cheer for, so I'm just going to either ignore it or even worse, I'm going to actively vouch for and support that person by exposing the victim. And that is, that to me is, is almost the biggest problem. And we see it with other media outlets that I, I don't mention by name where a woman is critical of them in the press or anyone's critical of them in the press and then it is just the vultures swoop in and, and take that person down it's not really a question is more of an observation, but it's just, you can sort of see why these victims again are so hesitant to come forward. Like, why am I going to subject myself to this? I've been through enough already. Why would I put myself through this again? Right. And relive that trauma. Right. Even if you bring charges up on someone or say anything, you have to re-traumatize yourself. And do you want to go through that? And then sometimes some folks are like, well, it's not really worth it. And that's kind of part of it is uh, generally media isn't really, prepared to to discuss these things and write about, write about them in, in the way they happen. And we saw that at the time. We saw even a friend of ours, Tim Bofo, at the time, wrote an article called, um, it was Patrick Cannon, Not Your Friend. Yeah. Right? And it's, yep. You saw what happened with, with that. And what the, it was a really great uh, column. And you saw how some folks reacted to it. And we tend to, we tend to give a, a cut a break or give, give a benefit of, of a doubt folks that we feel that we identify with and that's particular with hockey and hockey players often looked at the kid next door and oh that kid went to my school or I went to school with that kid or he's I'm so glad to see he's doing right and as soon as that that player gets called up to the NHL when he scores a goal what's the first thing they the second thing they show they show the parents <laughs> you mm-hmm. know they show it's like a whole family thing and it's you see the same thing when you watch the draft too it's the big family show which is I'm not knocking that or anything like that but it's like at the same time you know like it's it seemed like with this sport we look at many of these players as the kid next door and think about the Blackhawks back then when they had when right before they won that first Stanley Cup I mean they were all young and kind of hip and we saw as fans we saw them as like I feel like I know somebody like that you know like yeah. someone mm-hmm. I could I had to have a beer with to hang out with and when you hear about what's happened you know, almost a decade later, it just puts your fandom in a weird place. And when when these people getting back to your point about media and writing about these things, like we, us as media folks, we don't we're not the ones putting your favorite player in an awkward place. Your favorite player put your fandom in an awkward place. Yeah. That's what happened, unfortunately. And there's uh, had to be some had to be dealt with in some way, some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that that seems to be a popular response to a lot of sports fans is they get. Mad at the people reporting the news as opposed to the people who are responsible for us reporting to news. Yeah, it's our fault Alex Dabrinka got tried, right. in like, case you were wondering. Yeah, it was us. That was Sorry. us. I know how to blame. All right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> to, to jump on board. But, like, I just remember during the whole Patrick Kane thing just writing what the facts that we knew were in the case and people just lashing out. It's like, I'm not making these things up. We're not making these things up. We're just reporting it as it happens. Maybe be mad at the guy that's forcing us to have these discussions instead of the people who want to have these discussions. That seems rational to me, but it's sports, and ration doesn't always <laughs> win. Not it always. rarely does. 
But I, I guess then that kind of uh, brings me to a question that I had is just that, you know, when, when you when you bring up these these topics and, you know, sexism, sexual assault, racism, um, homophobia, all within the the context of, of hockey culture. How from your experience, how do you feel like bringing up those conversations and having those conversations? How does that how does that work in a, in a healthy way where, you know, obviously not on Twitter because <laughs> open conversations where people change their opinions, that, that's not the place to happen. But um, how do those conversations start the best to to I mean, obviously, with the book, I feel like you 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 both of you opened up a lot a lot of people's eyes but how do you start those conversations with kind of the people who are just like i just want to watch the sport i don't care about everything else like why is it important to have those conversations and kind of to open up more more eyes and more minds to what's actually happening that's something i struggle with even writing writing a book even until today you know like how do i how do i start these conversations and sometimes i'm just like hey you know this is going to be uncomfortable so Whatever uncomfortable means to you, this will probably be it. And even things I've written in the past, you know, and I'm just like, well, do I just like sugarcoat it? But that's what people have tried in the past, and you've seen fleeting results with that. So I just kind of was like, well, we're just going to talk about this. And if you like it, great. You, I mean, if you want to have this conversation, it was great. If you don't, I mean, don't waste my time. Well, I'm certainly not going to waste yours, you know. And, right. uh, but yeah, it's just, all these different stories. Even I've written something for Global Sport Matters like a f- couple of months ago about about a, um, a hockey team that was trying to re- rehabilitate a player who said you know, something racist to an opposing player, and that hockey administrator is black. And you know, we were kind of like, well, it was kind of like, how do I like deal with this on my team? And, and also, you know, being who I am and where I'm from, how do I you know, I, do I look at that kid the same again? <laughs> I mean, right, it was a right. lot, you know, and I mean, writing that and having those conversations and just to see, you know, that they, as an entire, like, organization, they, they had those conversations. It wasn't just, like, just a team or that player by himself and be like, go over there and and read the 69th from back and come back to us, you know, see how yeah. you feel. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It just, they had a, a lot of conversations about, what that did and like what what that incident meant. Um, there's still some healing to do with the opposing player, unfortunately. But but also like this guy was on the team with other players of color who were also are black. And how did that player reconcile that relationship with his teammates? Do they trust him now or, or not? Or it is kind of like whatever. Are they kind of like whatever? I'm trying to get to the show or do whatever. And you had those things, and you kind of saw that with. Happened with Jordan Subban and everything else, and like I always try to tell people when you're on the ice and everything, just think about that between him and his other brothers who are much more famous to him, Malcolm and PK and their family. Like, think collectively of what they've seen and heard over time. Oh, yeah, right. So, with all that going on during the game, he had to be 115% sure something was done, and people kind of forget where this happened. This happened in American South, you're doing stuff like that. Like, how you not know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, right. and uh, and that to see 
his reaction just to see the look on his face on the, like when they showed that photo of you know Panetta covering up and Jordan looking menacing you just kind of know right there like yeah he felt like he had to do something because no yeah. one else was gonna do anything about yeah, it because right. and until we have those conversations and also when they go through these protocols of sending a player away and then they come back like a month later like a, as a quote-unquote new person like we don't even know where is the NHL, the ECHL, the AHL, or OHL, or any of these um, leagues. Like, what is their protocol? What do they do when they sit down these players and, and maybe say to them, "Cut the shit." I'm sorry for saying shit. You can oh, swear. No, you're okay. yeah, cool. All drop, right, but drop them. okay, cool. <laughs> they do, well, they do. Like when they talk to players about this, like it's just like. Do they have them read the 1619 project? Do they have them like uh, hang out in Bronzeville? I don't know. Like, you know, like you're just like, how do you, what do we just do? Just drop them off in a black neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, uh, like on Chappelle's show when he yeah, hey, to figure get it out the door. <laughs> like, hey, that. figure it out. Not from like, the streets. Okay. <laughs> and drop off. We'll come get you in an hour or something like yeah, that. But yeah. yeah, so we just don't really know. With, are they just going to really get at hiding it or, or whatever? So that kind of goes into that too. But yeah, it's. As you all know, like, it's a lot. <laughs> We're going to continue our conversation with Evan Moore, but first want to remind you that the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use the code CHGO when you sign up. Do that right now, and you'll get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but that's not it. Oh, no. $50 first-time deposit, you're going to get a free CHGO membership. That unlocks all of our great web content. You'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. So two grand in free bets, a free CHGO membership, a free CHGO t-shirt, all for making a $50 or more first-time deposit at PointsBet. And make sure you use that code CHGO when you sign up. It's your home for live in-play betting, and it just got even better. CNA Edge in the game you're watching is your favorite team, prime for a comeback or a blown lead. Don't just watch the game. Bet along with it live. Download the PointsBet app right now. And use that code CHGO. What are you waiting for? It's time to elevate your live betting game. Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And we are also brought to you by Owen, spelled O-W-Y-N, standing for only what you need. Owen is a 100% plant-based protein shake that gives you the nutrition that works just as hard as you do. All of their products are free of artificial ingredients. They are allergen-friendly. They don't contain any gluten or dairy and are easily digestible. Might have heard about Owen from Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields, who follows a plant-based diet. Uh, right now, Owen and CHGO are partnering up to give you an awesome offer. You can get 20% off of your first purchase at liveowen.com when you use the promo code CHGO20. That's 20% off of your first purchase at liveowen.com. Again, the promo code is CHGO20. So get yourself some Owen. Try it out, just like Bears quarterback Justin Fields. Again, Owen, O-W-Y-N, only what you need. So sort of back on what we were talking about before the uh, the brief break there, and you know, players going into sensitivity training or whatever, I think it's important to note, and when we have these conversations, we like to have nuance in them, that people can change and can have their eyes open. And look, a lot of these hockey players or baseball players or football players, whatever, grew up in an atmosphere of racism, sexism, whatever, and need to be exposed to different people and different cultures and different ways of life. I do think that people can sincerely change. Now, whether or not Tony D'Angelo's sensitivity training took and now he's a changed man, 
I don't know if I buy that necessarily, but what sort of things can maybe not even the big pro leagues, but the minor leagues, the junior leagues, et cetera, how can they sort of implement sensitivity training by a default almost? You know, like I said earlier, you're bringing these children and they are children into your program, taking them away from traditional schooling where, look, my first exposure to people that weren't like me was college. It's reality, right? I grew up in Oakland. Everyone, almost everybody in my high school was, was white. Grade school, 100% white, right? Like, so how do you replace those experience for these players that are, that are taken out of those, those elements and, and, and kind of pull, like pulled away from any exposure to anything different? I mean, when building it, it starts as maybe as young as like 12. So that's definitely yeah. age where you just re- receive all types of information or anything else. So, I mean, when I hear of folks like, you know, having these ideas and these thoughts, I think of, you know, my childhood and someone who grew up in a, a household with two parents who were uh, Chicago public school educators and Obviously, when you're educated, you got summers off. So we did a lot of traveling, you know, outside of our you know, south side of Chicago enclave. So I got to meet different people from different backgrounds. And so I saw white people from a young age. I mean, they were mm-hmm. in our neighborhood, but also all the different places we went. And I guess it's how folks, you know, educate themselves. And I guess I grew up in a household that was kind of quirky, you know, like my mom and dad let me watch uh, Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> so, and, you know, as a kid, you're just kind of like, uh, like, you know, okay, whatever. Then, like, then 10, 15 years later, you're like, well, wait a minute. You know, like, yeah. well, that to happen. And so they had done us playing into me. They were like, yeah, we didn't want to ruin it for you. And, you know, it's history and, you know, everything else. And, but also, they explained to me, like, hey, this is how the world is. This is how it works, unfortunately. But I would just have to say, like, it's that, yeah, we're asking people to, to change minds and open your thoughts and and how do we get these folks to realize that you, know, you just you know you can't like you know make monkey chance towards a, a black player because it may mean something to you but another thing to you but to them you know it looks like you're trying to like draw a line in the sand and based on what they've seen and what they've been told and and everything else they're gonna react accordingly so it's all going back to I said earlier it's about listening and what you said Greg on a previous episode about empathy and everything else and just like listen to folks and be like look this is this is fucked up like come on like can we (laughs) (laughs) this is why I see it that way Mm -hmm. and in your mind you shouldn't be like oh no no or anything else but thing is though I mean I've fastened myself to be a a progressive person in these matters but also there was some learning to do over time and even reading the parts that Jasmina wrote about in the book and some stuff I was un- unaware of. So I'm, I'm not coming from a place of like pointing the finger at people because there's already enough talking down to people in, in hockey, you know? So, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I didn't, we didn't want to come from that, that place. So I just, yeah, I guess I've been telling people like I've, as much as people may have learned something from the book, I've, I've been learning some things too and no one's perfect. And you were just saying earlier, people can't, can't change, and I was probably one of those young kids that said and, and did everything and not realizing years later, like, oh, you know, it's kind of messed up. But, you know, so I think it, we can all learn from this and 
our mistakes and we got to listen to people like and show some empathy and just be like like this sometimes we have to shut up even though we feel like we know everything and mm. the time we have to shut up and receive information do you feel like the the nhl has had a lot of different programs and initiatives and, and, and things like that revol- revolving around um you know inclusivity and and they they have the the hockey is for everyone slogan or whatnot um do you feel like they, as probably the biggest league, you know, for the sport uh, in in the world, do you feel like those initiatives have actually made any kind of difference? Or I know uh, uh, Renee Hess of Black Girl Hockey Club has did the, the the forward for the for the book. Um, she on her own has done a lot to bring to light, you know, the the, the issues within hockey and whatnot. Do you feel like the league is? doing enough to kind of make those make those things their their problem to to help you know integrate the sport more or um you know are we seeing individuals actually make more progress than the league is doing i'll say i'm not gonna throw the nhl completely like under the bus and i'm not saying they're hands off or whatever but i think it's a combination of individual folks doing their own thing but also them i mean it's been diversity efforts in the league since the uh, mid 90s but yet so uh, what happened, I believe it was SI or uh, another outlet, they did a story about those uh, internal conversations with the Hockey Diversity Alliance and some of the things Gary Bevin said, it is like, you just don't really get it. For him to go out there and say, every time there's a draft or, or an all-star game that, that there's no issues with hockey culture, but then we see all these things happening. So there's clearly an issue and it kind of goes into, should it be up to him to tell all these uh, junior leagues and other folks, like, hey, stop it, you know. And but you'll think that'll be the person they listen to, but that's a, it comes from a lot of different folks. I mean, it just even thinking of what Desus and Merrill said uh, on their show during the uh, the Rangers playoff run, and they were talking about how great that was, and then uh, one of them said, "I go where I'm wanted," and it was kind of like an awkward moment. But so some of us who we're in hockey space and knew exactly what he was talking about. And right. there's some folks I know that they're like, I like hockey, but, and the but is all the things that we've been discussing. And there's some folks who feel like that they're like left out of the conversation or even like steered away from the sport for a lot of different reasons until we figure, you know, figure that out that we'll keep doing the same thing. I mean, it's nothing wrong. It's, it's kind of, I feel like it's akin to, what the NBA did in the early 80s when they started to see where who their fandom was and the, and who their players were. And they even feel like in some way they made a decision just to say like, look, so these folks are leaning into the sport and we had to accommodate them. And and you just feel like that maybe like hockey has, doesn't want to like uh, upset their normal, normal base. You need white male, suburban, upper class. When you start letting in other folks, and we talked about hockey is for everyone, people seem to forget when that whole thing happened with Dante, with uh, the with uh, Devontae Smith Pelly, that happened during not only Black History Month but the NHL's hockey is for everyone, and we had that photo of those fans in the book, and you look at that and you're just like, what were those kids like? You know, what were they thinking as the adults were the ones saying this? Like, right. did they find it funny that? Were there any conversation at home? Like, hey, like, why are we chanting basketball 
at Devontae Smith Telly, but probably not Tom Wilson when he's in the box. <laughs> like, right, so it's yeah. like, why are we saying yeah. are we saying that to him, but not the Tom Wilson? And so that's something that you gotta even his comments after the game, it was like, we're still dealing with this. Like it's so did the league has to I guess the most famous league has to do something about it, you will say, the <laughs> most influential. But sometimes it shouldn't really be that way. It should be something that's to go on in people's homes. Like maybe it's to be an honest of parents and people around these folks instead of Gary Bettman. Right. <laughs> maybe right. that's it too. Well, I spent two years scouting in the North American Hockey League, which is a junior league similar to the USHL. And I was scouting a lot of 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. And you hear it from the coaches. You hear it from the parents in, in the stands. And then you hear it from these kids themselves. You hear things that you're like, like, really? Like, how is this acceptable to say things? Like, I know it's the heat of the moment and it's a game, but that's not an excuse. So, obviously... I don't necessarily, yes, I want the NHL to kind of do, take more of a stand than they have, but as you just said, it's not necessarily their responsibility because by the time a player gets to the NHL, that behavior is yep. ingrained. That's learned. They didn't just show up to the NHL one day and say, oh, nope, I'm going to be a racist turd. Yeah, hockey didn't make them racist. Right, no, they they were <laughs> racist before they, they, they yeah. strapped on a pair of skates because that's what they've been taught. So it's hard to, to say where do we start the education and by the time they get to the nhl it's probably too late not necessarily i mean everybody can change i'm not the same person in my 40s as i was in my 20s i have evolved but you have to want to evolve you have to want to educate yourself and put yourself in other people's shoes too many people don't want to do that but i mean where where's a good spot to like really start especially with hockey like first i mean i don't know it's, it's such a tough where do you start to talk to children on these sorts of things? And is it up to anybody in the sport? It should start at home, but unfortunately, that's where the bad behaviors learn to begin with. So it, it's tough. Like, what could the NHL do more as far as reaching out to the youth hockey where it starts? That behavior starts at a young age. Is that where you start to try and nip it in the bud? Well, I mean, it's... What do these uh, other leagues do? Like, you just, where do they even find people to talk about these things? Because they're pretty much out their depth could be, because it still keeps happening. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lack of experience and know-how. And who in these leagues is going to step up and say, we don't know this? Who do we find to, who or what organization or what, or what can we, because in our book, we do have like resources and different things people can read because it, these kind of things happen at someone's pace, and they gotta have to want to learn, and want to know, and want to realize that hey, there might be an issue here, and how like okay, now so once I realize there might be an issue here, how do I look into this? And um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to see how some folks handle it. As I talked earlier, you had. Uh, we have a person who was with the hockey league who decided to take it on himself, and when he took it on himself, he did discuss. He did um, speak to uh, folks in NHL, like you know, like Kim Davis and uh, other folks about how I rehabilitate this player. And this is a player that's because uh, it was uh, midget league, so they go up to they, I think they start at twelve, I believe. I'm probably messing that up, but I'm just kind of escaping my mind right now. But this is someone who's in their teenage years, 
So I guess they feel like that, hey, like there's someone in their teenage years, there's still time to, you know, uh, re reevaluate their behavior because sometimes with adults it's too late. It's like I'm already thinking what I'm thinking and it got me this far, so what's that I change? <laughs> you know, right? right so right. that's how they kind of see it. I want to get to a couple comments in the chat, and thanks, everybody, for your comments. Sorry, it's been just a lot to get to on this one. Uh, Ryan Kay with a couple good points. He says, it's really hard to continue being a hockey fan when you see what goes on in the sport. I took a long and hard look, but it's better to stay and fight for things to be better rather than abandon the sport. He says, everybody is ignorant about something. Best to shut up and learn. I've said stupid things in the past about this stuff. I would not have that opinion today. And that goes to Greg's comment about evolving and growing and, and educating yourself. And, 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 and again, I think just like with our logo conversation, it goes back to empathy and listening and understanding. Um, another one from Lauren says, uh, Evan, your book was eye-opening. So important to discuss. As Evan said, getting to the history behind why these things happen is crucial. Thank you for being willing to have the conversation. So uh, a lot of people, and there's one more there at the bottom um, that I wanted to get to, Lawrence from Surfing Duck. He says, it's too bad that talent will always be valued more than character when it comes to sports. Last night, randomly, I was watching Moneyball. And it was one of the many scenes where Brad Pitt is in the room with the scouts and they're talking about Jeremy Giambi. And they're like, well, you know, he's got, he's doing strip clubs and he drinks and, 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 and Billy Beans, Billy Beans says, I don't care. He gets on base. That was it. And Jeremy Giambi, obviously a white guy, but, but like, it's just, it doesn't matter. And, th and that's the other problem in sports is like, well, we discipline this guy, but he's too important to it. And that brings us to the Kyle Beach stuff. Yeah. is when that stuff came out, they're in the middle of a cup run, and they're like, we can't possibly deal with this right now. We cannot distract from winning a Stanley Cup. Where in our discussions, I think we've had this discussion, uh, probably on the Madhouse podcast, like how hard of it would have been for the Hawks to say, we have moved on from our video coach. There will be no further comment at this time. Nobody would have batted an eye. It would have been lost to the news cycle of a Stanley Cup chase, right? But it's just this insistence from these people in power to just not acknowledge that something is wrong in the first place and try to push everything under the rug. I think if punishment is swift and clear and consistent, I don't care if it's, there's no history of Sidney Crosby saying this, but I'm just saying like the highest profile player in the league, Sidney Crosby to the lowest prospect in the league. If one of those per people says something sexist or racist or homophobic, the punishment has to be swift and even Maybe that's what it needs to be. Maybe it needs to be punishment that's going to teach these teams that this stuff is not to be tolerated. Right. I mean, it's because this sport, I'll say more than other, this seems like that. It seems like if one person has a bad idea about you and they're in a position of power, that that spreads around, and it could have it could be on one end someone who's really good, but they're a jerk and otherwise, or it's someone who made like one mistake. And uh, shout out to James, you're great. Pull up, <laughs> you get a chance. Yeah. And um, so, um, but um, yeah, you know, you see these, all these issues that you see in the comment section here, where it's that's pretty much it. Where that's the ball game, then that's kind of where it's at. And some people are. They, yeah, there's a there's a guy, there's a guy in the chat saying that we it, sound yeah. like a bunch of complaining women. Uh, thanks for exposing yourself as the asshat you are. Um, what what is our term? A noted pudwack. Pudwack. Confirmed, confirmed pudwack. Pudwack. Yeah. James Lee, or, or you're a pudwack. I mean, it's guys like that is why we <laughs> have to have these conversations. Right. Uh, you're the reason we're having this conversation, dickhead. So congratulations. <laughs> Reading anyway. content. 
<laughs> anyway, everyone else in the chat has been cool, so let's not give this person the attention they want. One, one thing that I get a lot, I just wanted to bring it up, not necessarily a question, but just more of a statement. I see it a lot when we start to talk about these conversations, when we have them on Twitter, and, you know, I always like, I've said a hundred times, I love this sport, but I hate the culture. And a lot of thing, a, a common response I get is, well, there are more good people in the sport of hockey than bad people. That is 100% true. I've met some of the nicest, most genuine people covering this sport. But that doesn't mean anything. What good is having more good people than bad people if the good people do nothing when the bad people do what they do? So a good person in, in hockey, in any organization, a good person that turns a blind eye and keeps his mouth or her mouth shut just enables the bad people so the more good people that come out and say i will not tolerate this i do not accept this we need to change it if all the good people in the hockey stood up and said it the bad people will go away exactly right and this is the same argument about police i have four police officers in my family all of which are wonderful people that are in it for the right reasons and are pissed about a lot of the stuff that happens from George Floyd and, and onward. But until police culture is, hey, that's wrong. This happened and it's exposed inside of the code of silence. That's where that, that's where that doubt is cast. And that's what we're talking about. Good people in hockey. There's many of them, thousands of them. But who speaks up when this stuff happens? Who says that is wrong and it cannot be tolerated? Of those thousands of nice people, it's single, maybe double digits of people that will actually stand up and say something. Because, look, your average hockey commentator who could be as, you know, open-minded and progressive as anyone in the world doesn't want to expose himself or herself to the influx of bullshit they're going to get for standing up and saying the right thing. And that's where it's, like, honestly, like, when we do shows like this, we have to kind of steal ourselves about... We're going to have to deal with the ass hats. We're going to have to deal with the people yeah. that are coming in and calling us woke libs and cucks and all this stuff. Yep. We got it with the logo talk. I'm sure we're going to get it with this episode. And it's difficult to do, but not doing it is not an option. And I think the, the good people at the top of hockey need to be more active in all sports and in all industries, truly, more active in, being, in condemning this behavior instead of just ignoring it like it never happened. That's well, how you start. Yeah, and I think that that was one of the, one of the biggest um, hang-ups with everything that happened with Kyle Beach is that, you know, it was, it was a long, you know, it was a decade ago, and it seemed as if, you know, Beach was, Beach was in the NHL. He moved around the NHL, moved around the AHL. Um, you know, Brad Aldrich was in the NHL, was working with USA Hockey, um, worked – ended up working with some college programs like that him like those names and those people were were moving around and, and people knew uh the you know people would would cross paths with with them and the 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 idea that oh like all of this came to light 10 years ago or, or from 10 years ago last summer and the stuff going on with uh the 2018 uh investigation with hockey canada and developing the 2003 investigation i i, th I think we we kind of kid ourselves sometimes that we we think like oh like who could have known this was happening i th i think we're really turning a blind eye to like stories circulate P 
people know things happen. Um, and I think it's just, it's, I think it's very difficult for, for people to come to terms with like, Hey, if I, if I say something, I might be left out on an Island or, or as, as you mentioned, you know, people worry about, you know, cancel culture and, and whatnot. If they're, if they're not speaking as part of a group or with, you know, with, uh, with, with some sort of support behind them, I think it's, it's just a really hard, uh, position to be in, but it's always better. You know, the, the saying goes, the truth is much better than the lie. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of just, sometimes it's, it's hard to accept that and it's hard to do those things, but, um, doing the right thing is, is, is better than nothing at all. And I think that that's something that is, uh, it's, starting to change i think a little bit i think we're seeing some some small steps within uh within hockey that we're seeing more people uh be vocal about things we're seeing more stories come forward i think i think it's 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 good steps but it's going to take a lot more for real tangible changes to uh to be made and and accountability is is one of the is one of the big things that um you know you guys you guys talk about in your book and and i think that is something that we all need is is at a young age for these players, accountability is something that they need to experience and be held accountable It's it's players, it's coaches, uh, it's, it's administrators, you know, it's, it, it's across the board. So I think it's something that is starting to go in the right direction, but it's something that is unfortunately, you know, these, these stories keep coming out, but it's, it's, it's being pushed in that direction. So I'm, I'm hopeful for, for hockey as a sport that I love, uh, to continue to change, continue to, to develop, continue to progress. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the people that want things to be the, be the same and say, like, oh, I just, you know, love, love hockey for what it is and, and what it was and everything's changing and I don't like change. Well, things have to change. Mm-hmm. Things before you liked them changed. And uh, I, it's just, I, I think it's going in the right direction, but I think it, it's going to take a lot more for things to uh, to get to a point where, you know, we're we're not having to feel like this is a tough conversation. Like it can be open and it can be, yeah, you know, oh. it can go in the right right direction. It it got to remember that bad and predatorial behavior thrives in a code of silence. It relies on it to to That's live. Mm-hmm. So if you start ca- calling people out on their bullshit, then either that person or that behavior has to go away. It's, it's it sounds easy but as we've said you've read those numbers about re- reporting sexual assault it's not easy to stand up and take a stand and try upset the apple cart it's not easy it's it takes a lot of guts to do that so you know i will be an ally for anybody that needs to stand up to something i, I think it's my responsibility not as as a reporter but as a human being yeah if someone is is legit having something taken away from them or done to them that's just not right that you wouldn't want done to yourself you got to use your voice any way you can to help them out that that's that's just my way of life and if that makes me woke i'm woke af as the kids (laughs) like to say and i'm proud to i wear it like a badge as your your tiktok fans will will tell you all right evan before we wrap up let people know about the book where can they get it how can they follow you all those great things Oh, yeah, sell it, can, buddy. Sell it. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, find our book uh, at uh, pretty much anywhere you can find books. I mean, it's like you just want to do Amazon or you feel weird about Amazon, you can uh, go to your local uh, independent bookstore 
And also with the book, we're also uh, doing a second batch of our, our, our collaboration with uh, Jay Westbrook, aka Black Bear Baron, and Haymarket Brewery with our with our uh, hockey uh, concept beer, Even Strength Gold Cream Ale. And we all know it in hockey what Even Strength is, and we feel like that when everyone's on the ice, as in life or other places, you all win. So it's it's something where we uh, put together and uh, we like people to check it out once so we do our second batch. But in terms of the book, I mean, it's if you want to read something, it's, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable to read at first, but also you're going to have your thoughts challenged or maybe there's something you already know. I mean, because I know one of the main critiques of the book is the people who need to read it the most, a.k.a. James Lee, probably <laughs> won't read it. But, James, you still read it. You're still calling us names in the chat. You should read the book. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm very proud we only had one troll in the in the chat room today. It was that's the under yeah. came in. Yeah, the fact that it took 45 minutes for that to happen, yeah. I was rather happy. So right. I'll go back to ignoring that waste of. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of CHGO Blackhawks. Evan, thanks for being here. Make sure you're following Evan on Twitter at Evan F Moore. And one final reminder: if you enjoy CHGO, one way to help us continue to grow is to download the PointsBet app and use the code CHGO when you sign up. Not only will you get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but with that $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll get a free CHGO membership. That gets you all of our web content, access to our Discord, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. And remember, in case you missed it, online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register from start to finish all from your phone. You'll be signing up with the fastest sportsbook, easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with points bet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We're going to wrap it up. For Greg and Mario and Evan, I'm Jay. Thanks to Lawrence for running the show today. We greatly appreciate it. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 11 on the CHGO Blackhawks podcast.